Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. May God bless this reading of his word. We've been studying living wisely, looking at the lens through Proverbs, and um, occasionally one finds oneself in a... Uh, And we stop and we say, how did I get in this class? How did I, I didn't sign up for this test or this exam. I'm not sure this, how this happened. Sanctification can be like that. Sanctification often is something we find ourselves in the middle of and we're not sure how we accidentally got there. Life has enrolled us in the class called real life. About seven years ago, um, I found myself in that situation. Um, some of you that are new to Roanoke or new to the church may not know this, but I was a practicing ophthalmologist for a while uh, as a side gig. Um, and um, I found myself retiring from ophthalmology a little bit earlier than I thought I would. And I enrolled in this class called Life, Real Life. For six years, I had difficulty putting my finger on the pulse of what was so special for me as an ophthalmologist. What did I miss so much? I enjoyed the surgeries. I found them challenging. I became pretty good at it. Um, it was a gift. It was a gift to help people. It was a gift to see God blessed with improved vision and use me as an instrument to do that. But no, that wasn't, that wasn't it. That wasn't what I missed the most. I enjoyed the full days, um, working with other physicians, managing schedules, seeing patients, calling family members, learning new diagnostic modalities, teaching technicians, medical students, and residents. Full days were challenging, and they were rewarding. But no, that was not what I missed the most. I enjoyed the mission trips. Uh, having gone on probably 45 mission trips over the last 35 years, working with physicians and nurses and anesthesia help, businessmen, lawyers, anyone that would go. It was amazing to see the Lord take all these different people and skill sets, put them in a blender, hit blend, and three days later we were a well-oiled machine that could provide care and minister to people, and that was really special. But no, that was not what I missed the most. Um, about three or four months ago, I was sitting at the computer, and I, my computer binged or pinged or whatever they do. I had an email. I opened the email, and it was from Brother Bob. Brother Bob had been a patient of mine for over 18 years. And he had walked through a really difficult tragedy 
in his work life. And I had walked through that with him. And he would describe it as our relationship changed. He went from a doctor-patient relationship to a brothers-in-Christ relationship to a friend's relationship. And he said, I believe you started becoming my pastor. Matter of fact, he said, during those trials, you became my pastor. That's what I missed. I missed the passport into people's lives that ophthalmology provided. It was special. It was sacred. It was a sacred trust. It was a trust provided by God himself, welcomed by another traveler on this walk we call life. So what is it that qualifies a relationship as sacred? Is it longevity? Is that it? I don't think so. Is it vulnerability? Just mutual vulnerability? I don't think so. Relationships are sacred, but what makes them so? A couple other questions. Are all relationships sacred for a believer? How do we honor the unique opportunities from God through relationships? Is it possible to have all relationships be sacred and it not become burdensome? First thing I want us to understand is that God designed us to live in relationships. And that's one of the reasons they are sacred, is because it's His design. In Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is the word Elohim. What it is, it's the plural form of God, of El. And we're seeing a picture. Of in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived in perfect unity in eternity past. And in eternity future, they will live the same way. There was perfect community in God Himself. And that's where the source of our design for relationships come from, is from Elohim Himself. God sets the pattern. In Genesis 1, 26, we see a similar truth. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the crawfish in the bayou. That's my version. <laughs> so let us, again, the plural form, God in perfect community. Design us this way. We are image bearers called to live in relationships. So number one, we've seen God and we've read of God living in perfect community. We've also seen the unhealth of us not living in good community in this pandemic. And the tragedy that we've seen with suicide rates increasing and just the unhappiness in people. Relationships are sacred because they were designed such by a holy God. But also God's redemptive plan was and is for all people. I want you to hear me. God's redemptive plan was 
always, is now, and will be for all people. In Genesis chapter 12, we begin to see the introduction to this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You are a blessing to all people, Jews, Gentiles, those opposed to me, those live, trying to live for me. In the book of Ruth, we see further evidence of this love in a beautiful love relationship where Ruth, a Moabite woman who's widowed, travels back to Israel with her mother-in-law. She needs a kinsman redeemer to restore the property that her husband lost with his death. She runs into Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. But the story doesn't stop there. She actually gives birth to Obed, who becomes the grandfather of King David. And she is in the family lineage of Jesus Christ himself, the perfect kinsman redeemer who redeems her and redeems you and I today. God's redemptive plan was and is for all people. In the story of the Magi showing up in Bethlehem, probably in Nazareth more accurately, um, if we don't follow the, the model of the nativity scenes, but they showed up after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship. He's born King of the Jews. But in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child of his mother Mary. They bowed down. They worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He was born king of the Jews. But the wise men fell at his feet and worshipped him. A mom who had dishwashing hands and diaper changing hands. Not looking like royalty. A dad who had the hands of a tecton, a stonemason. Unmet expectations and yet they said, but we believe. We believe he's our king. We believe... He's our hope. And they fell down and worshipped him. The message is clear that God's redemptive plan is and has been for all people. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Christ coming towards him in the Jordan River and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the Jews. Is that right, Chip? The sin of the... No. Behold the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world. His redemptive plan is for all people. Thief on the cross, one of them cussing him. One of them says, do you not fear God? His grace is for all and is sufficient for all. And he says, today I will see you in heaven. 
Pete sent around a funny story. Alistair Begg was telling the story about the thief on the cross who showed up in heaven about a week and a half ago. He sent this around. And, and he shows up at the pearly gates, and, and the angel's checking him in. He says, how, how, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. No, I mean, you got to know. I mean, how did you get here? He said, I don't know. He said, well, um, let me get my supervisor. He goes, get the supervising angel. Supervisor, so, so tell me how you got here. I, I mean, I don't know. He told me to come here. He said, well, let me make sure. Are you clear on justification by grace? Never heard of it. So, so tell me about Scripture. Is Scripture completely true? Is it the Word of God? Trustworthy? He said, I don't know much about the Bible. Never read much. Then how did you get here? And the thief on the cross said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's how I got here. And the message is, God's redemptive plan has been, always has been, for all people. That's why relationships are sacred. But also we are his image bearers. Therefore we find blessing in relationships. We find encouragement in relationships. We find worthwhile investment in relationships. The absolute best way to image bear Christ is to love one another. John 13, 34, we read about what this love looks like. Christ is talking to his disciples right before he's about to be arrested. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, that's how you do it. As a matter of fact, by this fact, all men will know you're, you're my disciples. Not by how much scripture you've memorized. Not by your car leaving your driveway every Sunday morning at 8.15. They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Many of us would say... I love you, Lord. I will lay down my life for you, Lord. Yet we deny Christ every Sunday by our anger, our bitterness, or our resentment of a church member, a deacon, a teacher, a pastor. I will follow you. Count me in. I will surrender my life for you. And yet the cock still crows on Sunday morning in churches because of a disrespect for a brother or sister in Christ. Our response is, but I love those who love me. I respect those who respect me. I honor those who honor me. Scripture tells us that's good. So do the tax collectors and the pagans. A Christ follower is called to image bear Christ in relationships. That's why relationships are sacred. 
A few years ago, we shared a definition that Bob Jones had given us. The love one another that image bears Christ is defined this way. Love is volition. It's a decision, an act of the will. It is a whole-souled commitment of attitude and action to seek the highest good for the one loved, even at great personal cost. The whole person, mind, will, and emotion, unites to want and to work for the other person's best. That's more than I love LSU football. That's more than I love chili dogs. To want and to work for the other person's best. When we look, in it, look at living wisely in relationships, we look at Christ's example and we bear image of him. This is a special love. It's not a love that is motivated by emotion, although emotion may be a part of it. It's not about comfort and convenience, all those things that are valued. It's not about denying personal preferences or acquiescing to another's preferences, although it does seek peace because peace is good. If we're going to handle relationships in a sacred way, we need to know or define what this other person's best is, what the highest good is. How do we define that? Jay, you've been chairman of the deacons. Maybe we just assign that as a duty to the chairman of the deacons from now on, that they get to determine who's, what everybody's best good is. Yeah, let's not do that. We have trouble getting a chairman of the deacons. Fortunately, Scripture has laid this out. It's laid this out very clearly, what someone's highest good is. In Romans 8, 29, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many, among many brothers. Conformed to the likeness of his son is the goal and the highest good for every one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into his likeness that is our highest good. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says it this way. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our highest good. Our noblest cause is the same. And God gets to decide what that is. Relationships are sacred because of God's design.
because of his plan and because of his calling. If we're going to handle relationships in a manner that understands God's desire, that we grew up in Christ like it. It respects our equipping, and we understand that we're equipped for the body of Christ to grow one another up. And stewards our responsibilities, then we must be diligent in building up the body of Christ. This is a sacred trust and honor. And if we understand that, then we're going to have to change wardrobes. Some of the things we have worn are not acceptable for this family we've been adopted into. They're unbecoming for this family. Colossians chapter 3 addresses this in verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self, with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you've taken some things off, now put these things on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We get a new wardrobe. That's because relationships are sacred. One of the things that we need to understand is in this new wardrobe is holding one's tongue. We take off gossip, critical spirit, and cynicism, and our tongues are made as they were designed to praise, to encourage, to affirm, to comfort, to mourn. In the book of James, it goes on to say large ships, large animals, large forests can be led astray or destroyed by a rudder, by a bit, by a small spark. And it's like that with our tongue. Tim Keller says that it is idolatry when we learn to listen just enough to get our turn to speak. Because what we're saying when we do that is what really matters is my thoughts and my opinions. And that's idolatry. We need to be a good listener and hold one's tongue. Pete talked about gentleness last week. That's another thing we need to put on in this wardrobe of sacred relationships. You know, Philippians is an interesting book. Some people call it the book of joy. Um, and yet in chapter 4, Paul asserts himself in the middle of a conflict. 
There's two women that are having conflict in the Philippian church. That's crazy, Pastor Paul, get in the middle of that. But he gets in the middle of it. He says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. He says, this is who you've been. You've contended at my side, and now you're at each other's throats. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. We need something here. And he said, it's not wisdom. We need gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident. Tall. We don't need wisdom. We don't need discipline. We don't need authority. We don't need admonition. We need gentleness. William Hendrickson says, a number of synonyms are required to show the depth and the breadth of biblical gentleness. It can be called yieldedness, reasonableness, big-heartedness, considerateness, geniality. None of those individually means gentleness. Perhaps gentleness is one of those things we put on that we don't recognize until it's not there. There are some things like that in sacred relationships. You don't realize it's not there until it's absent. There's some other things in this wardrobe that we will get to later. Uh, for time constraints, I'll finish up. I'm sorry we didn't look at the scriptures we read. Those are good scriptures. We need to look at kindness, forbearance, gratitude, generosity, forgiveness, humility. But you know, there are also some things that we got to remember to take off. Gossip, anger, selfishness, sarcasm, short temper, self-righteousness, arrogance, pride, bitterness, unforgiveness. Relationships are sacred. You've been trusted with a number of them. May you honor the Lord's example. May you honor the Lord's equipping. May you honor the Lord's sovereignty in putting you in the middle of those relationships that you're a part of. Because we image bear him. This is the message of the Lord. <laughs>